I don't know. I'm, just, I'm new here. I don't, I don't know how it works here. Don't worry, I'm a professional. Okay, I noticed that. <laughs> so, um, Dan, how often do you do this? <laughs> okay. Well, it is so nice to be with all of you, and uh, thank you so much for your wonderful support in our work in the country of Turkey of helping to establish new churches in this country that is one of the least reached countries with the Christian message on the planet Earth. Uh, yes, Dan was correct, at least once up here today. The, the picture on that little insert is of my wife and myself, and she's not here, unfortunately, a little under the weather, but she's on the upswing and uh, regrets that she wasn't able to uh, be here today. We always count it a great joy to be with you guys, and again, thank you. And <clears throat> with your support and the support of others, our last trip to Turkey in September, we met with seven new Turkish pastors, and we're in the process of helping those churches get started. So God is doing great things even in a very turbulent time within that country. So we do thank you and appreciate your prayers. I'm going to introduce you to a couple of Turkish pastors, at least by screen, as we uh, look at our message today. We're going to take a look this morning at Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Colossae, a city that is in what is modern-day Turkey today, and in the first century it was known as Asia Minor, and it is a very powerful message that I think God would have each of us hear clearly today. I know uh, Mark just, or Dan just prayed as well as Mark, but let's take a moment just briefly and ask the Lord to open our hearts to hear what he wants to say to us today. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we do thank you so much for the incredible privilege of being your children. And Lord, we ask this morning that you might open our hearts just enough to hear what you want us to hear and to be transformed by that and by your spirit to see those truths enacted in our lives. And we will thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. David Huxley <clears throat> holds a world record that I had never heard of before, and maybe some of you have not heard of before. What David Huxley does is this. He goes to an airport where he said his last record was in the Sydney airport, but he goes to the airport, he puts on kind of an upper body harness that has a steel cable coming out the back end of this harness. And that steel cable is connected to the wheel strut or the wheel complex on a 747 jet. And when he's ready, he just leans forward and begins to pull the 747 jet, 187 tons. And he has set the record for pulling a 747 jet 100 yards in the least amount of time. Now, if we had a lot of time, I'd ask you, how, how long do you think it takes him? But we don't have time to do that this morning. His record is a minute and 21 seconds to pull a 747 jet from standing position 100 yards. It is an amazing accomplishment. And I know as we look at something like that, we often think, wow, well, I wish I had that kind of strength. I wish I had that kind of power. 
And especially, I wish I had that kind of strength as a Christian. That's what I need. I, I just need the, the human strength to pull myself forward and, and, and to make things happen. Well, as much as I applaud the strength of David Huxley, it doesn't work that same way within the spiritual realm. In the spiritual realm, it isn't a matter of us trying to pull together all of our strength and to move forward and to serve Christ and to do all these things. It's a matter of learning to depend upon His strength flowing through us. It's a matter of, of coming to understand what it means to rely upon Christ, to, to allow His life to flow through our life and to have the power to do the things He wants us to do, not because we're so strong in ourselves, but because He is so strong in us. And I think in our passage this morning, we are especially reminded of what that is like. In fact, in the book of Colossians, Paul is speaking to those that were not Christians very long, that were very new in their faith, and didn't really understand yet what it was to be a Christian, and had heard a whole array of false and misleading teaching, but had finally come to faith in Christ. In fact, in chapter 3 and verse 14, or excuse me, in chapter 3, verse 10, he says, and put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. That's what God wants us to grasp, is allowing our new self, the new person we are in Christ, to know his power and to allow him to live out through us. As we look at our passage this morning, I think what we see is that Paul is encouraging these Christians at Colossae to think in a new way, to embrace Christ in a, in a new and powerful way that begins with a whole new language. You know, when, when you come into this world, you, you begin by learning the language of at least the culture that you're in. And as a Christian, as we become a new creature, creation, a new creature, we begin to learn the language of what it is to be a new, newborn child. And for us, the language is prayer. And so Paul begins this by saying to them, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Realize that prayer is the language of, of, of our new life in Christ, that, that it isn't just a matter of us pulling as hard as we can, it's a matter of us being in contact with God and growing in our relationship with Him and getting to know Him better every day. That's why Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and said, to them, pray without ceasing. Keep that prayer communication going with the Lord. Have no anxiety about anything, Paul said to the Philippians, but in everything through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and, and God will fill you with his peace. Or I think as, as we hear what Peter said in his first letter, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Prayer is, is what makes our Christian life what it's intended to be. Prayer is what we engage in to find the fullness of our life as we stay in communication with Him. And that's why He says, devote yourselves. In other words, be persistent in this. You can almost translate it courageously persistent. It's a strong word. Really stay committed to the Lord through prayer. And, as He goes on to say in the next part, keeping alert in it. 
when I became a Christian, my idea of prayer was this, that at night I would get into, go to bed, get under the covers, get really comfortable, lay down, and then I would pull out my prayer list, and I would begin to pray. And for some reason, in that nice, comfortable position, I'd get through the first two or three requests, and I'd be sound asleep. Uh, I wasn't doing what Paul said here, keeping alert in it, that sometimes <clears throat> prayer for us can just be an autopilot reaction. We just throw out a couple phrases to God, and we're on our way, and we kind of get busy and forget about him. But Paul says to these Christians in Colossae, keep alert in it. Throughout the day, be aware of what God is doing. As you interact with people, God, give me the opportunity to help this person. Give me the opportunity to speak to this person. Lord, give me wisdom here. In all of our situations of life, it ought to be a continuing, continuing interaction with God. Keeping alert in it <clears throat> with an attitude of thanksgiving. As we begin to grasp the incredible privilege that is ours to be in contact with the God of the universe, to moment by moment just talk to him, lay out the issues of our lives from the moment we, we, our alarm goes off in the mornings, Lord, thank you for this day. Use me throughout the day to speak with him, at the end of the day to thank him, throughout the day to thank him, to realize that we are so blessed to have the opportunity to pray. One of the things that I find in our work in the country of Turkey is that Christians who live in places of great persecution engage in great prayer, that prayer is so important to them. As we started this message, you saw a picture of a couple of uh, folks that, that we work with in the country of Turkey. One of them, which you see, uh, I guess it would be over on the right side, Hums and Ferrier, they were with us in the States for about a week, went back to Turkey, and within two days, they contacted me and said, Rich, pray. Please pray. They just got a text from Islamic State saying, we know who you are, we know where you live, and we're coming to get you. Now, so far, thank God, they are still safe and still ministering and leading a wonderful church within the country of Turkey. But when those things happen to you, the first reaction, obviously, is, I need to pray. Or I think of uh, Demacon and Rafiq in the other picture. Again, about a week ago, Demacon contacted me and said, Rich, please pray for me. He has a small little office where he does some work in reaching the Syrian refugees as well as leading a church. And somebody tried to deliver a package bomb to his office. So upset with his work as a Christian. And thankfully, it was um, diffused and, and it did not go off. But his first reaction is, Rich, pray. In a worship service in Turkey, one of the interesting things you find is they will sing a worship song. We sang this beautiful and moving. I was touched this morning by our worship singing. But after they'll sing a song, they'll just pause in their worship service and they'll just begin to pray spontaneously and sometimes the prayers go on for a long time and then they'll sing another worship song and then they'll just open it up for prayer when you when you are harassed and persecuted the first reaction of our brothers and sisters in Christ is prayer we need to pray and I know in my life that is a great conviction as I see this passion for prayer and 
as Paul writes to the Colossians, it is with this inclination, this encouragement, make prayer your passion. But he goes on here in verses 3 through 5, that as we pray, and in, sometimes in the initial steps of prayer, we're just praying, God, I need the strength to get through today. God, I, I don't know how I'm going to get through this business meeting today. God, I, uh, these issues with my family, I'm not sure how to deal with them. Just kind of that, that entry level to prayer, prayer 101, as we just begin to pray through the things that, that face us in our lives, and we do it with thanksgiving, we begin to realize, God, what an amazing thing to be your child that I can even approach you in prayer. Lord, what I have is so wonderful, I, I need to let others know about this amazing relationship that you desire for all to experience. And so in the midst of talking about prayer generally, Paul begins to shift that just a little bit in verse 3 to say that as we pray in general, part of our prayer ought to be to ask God to use us to proclaim his message it is such a great message. Notice what he says there in verse 3. Praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open to us a door for the word. Now that was something that Paul often prayed about, that Paul was always looking for, was an open door to share freely his faith in Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and in verse 6, or excuse me, in verse 8, he says this, But I shall remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. He's writing this letter to the Corinthians from Ephesus. Again, a, a church that exists in what is Turkey today. He says, I shall remain in Ephesus for a wide door for effective service is open to me. And yet there are many adversaries. For Paul... An open door didn't mean that everything was wonderful and that everybody was in favor of what he was doing. For Paul, an open door simply meant that there were people that were interested, that were listening, even though there might have been great opposition from others or many others who didn't understand and, and sought to shut him down. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 12, we see the same thing again by Paul. Now, when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ... And when a door was opened to me in the Lord, he goes on to speak of the work that he did in Troas and, and reached many in the city of Troas. As we pray and as we just generally ask God for the things that, that come to our minds and hearts, we reach that second level of prayer, which is, God, what I have is so amazing. Help me to proclaim it. Lord, please put open doors in front of me. And again, that doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy, everything's going to be wonderful. It just means the asking that God would bring people across our paths that would be willing to hear, that would be willing and open to hear what God has to say for us. That, he says here, that I may speak forth the mystery of Christ. This message was a mystery to those in the Old Testament, the the. the the, the fullness of this message, the free grace of God through Jesus Christ. And even today, for so many, the Christian message is a mystery unless somebody takes the time to explain it and to help them and to point them in the right direction. As he says, the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. 
As Paul is asking for open doors, he's asking for these open doors in prison. As he is in Rome, in prison because of his faith. And as you follow Paul on his way to being imprisoned, it is incredible. First, there's this crowd that wants to kill him, some of them. And so the the Roman soldiers take Paul and take him away because they're afraid for his life. And Paul says, wait a minute, guys, before you take me into the stronghold, into the compound, could you let me just talk to the crowd for a minute? I want to explain to them why I'm here and what I'm doing. And, And amazingly, they let him do that. He's in prison, and he gets to speak to the governor. He gets to speak to kind of the territorial governor. And eventually, they take him to Rome where he speaks regularly with his, well, I was going to say his guards, in some ways his captives, because they they are his captive audience as he shares with them his faith. Open doors does not mean everything is wonderful. It just means within the circumstances in which we find ourselves, we say, God, please open some doors. Maybe it's my neighbor. Maybe it's the person I work next to. Maybe it's somebody I go to school with and we just say, Lord, would you open a door? Would you help me to find just that right way to to turn the conversation to you that they might know more about you? As he says in verse 4, in order, the reason I want you to pray this, the, the, the purpose for that is that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. I pray, Lord, help me to know what to say in this situation. It's clear that as a Christian, I ought to speak. (laughs) That's what we're called to do. That that part is absolutely clear, and Paul realized that. But it's, Lord, help me to be clear in what I say. Now, it might be something simple. It might be just, Lord, help me to maybe check in with my neighbor and see how they're doing, and maybe I'll just let them know I'm praying for them. Or to maybe share the way Christ has made a difference in my life, in the same circumstances that somebody else is going through, in some way, just to proclaim the message that Christ has given to us and the transforming power. And as we ask God to do that, and as as we ask him to give us the words in particular, we also, in verse 5, see that we ask him to change us so that the way we live might correspond with what we say to people Verse 5, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards those who are outside of Christ, making the most of the opportunity. It isn't just a matter of of treating people in a very self-centered way and then expecting that we can proclaim the message of Christ to them. Our lives need to reflect him. And I love the way that he says this in verse 5. As he says, making the most of the opportunity. Some translations say redeeming, and I think this is a little better, redeeming the time, the moment. It's the same word that we use of redemption. It's a a beautiful word in the Greek language that means that somebody is in the marketplace about to be sold as a slave. And somebody steps in and buys them, buys them out of slavery and then sets them free. And that's what Christ did for us. He he took us out of slavery to ourself and and, and to living a life that, that was meaningless apart from him and freed us and set us free. And in a way, we are to do the same thing, to redeem the moments in our lives, to see people around us that are maybe trapped 
in certain ways in their life or, or in, on a path that they want off of. I, I was at a funeral two days ago and somebody was saying to me, you know, Pastor, I'm on, this, I'm on this course and I don't know how to get off. It's terrible. I need help. There are people around us that are like that. And God could use us to share a word with them, to help them find their way out of that, that enslavement to that situation and to find the freedom that we have known within Jesus Christ. As we pray, we also pray that we might learn to proclaim with all of the aspects that surround that. Again, in the pictures that I, we started with on proclamation, I think of a couple of dear people. One of them is actually in, I didn't realize that you were going to be using this insert that tells a, a story about uh, one of the pastors that we support. I used a name on this because it was going to be in other places that I, I didn't want to use the actual name, but the actual name isn't Mehmet, it's Emre. And Emre and his family, you see on the left side of the screen there, Emre and his family were serving a church up in the northwest part of Turkey. And one morning, two in the morning, they get a knock on their door, and it is kind of a spin-off of Hezbollah that tells them, you have one hour to get out of your home and to leave, or you know what will happen. So they pulled a few things together, took their three dear children, put them in a car that didn't work very well. They drove 500 miles away to where they had family. And within a week of moving 500 miles away of being threatened for their lives, Pastor Nguyen, I mean, yeah, yes, Pastor Nguyen, I'm sorry, Pastor Nguyen is his name. He, uh, he started a new church within one week and began proclaiming again. You know, as a Christian, we, we just don't have, even when life is difficult, we don't have the option to say, sorry, Lord, this proclamation part of it, I don't get that. It's something we all need to do. Emre, Emre, the other picture here, about a year ago, the police came to his door, Turkish police, and said, we just got word that there's a plot to kill you, and the plot is to take place tomorrow. We just got word of this. And he began to find out as this unraveled that there were like 20 people that were working together to kill him. And two of the people that were involved in this plot attended his church, had watched his children. You know, sometimes in Turkey, you don't always know if people who come to your church are coming because they're really interested in learning about Christianity or if they're coming there to spy out what you're doing and to see if there's a way to undercut what you're doing. Well, thank God his life was protected. The police told him you should not go back to your church. But he said, I have to. I have to continue to proclaim the Christian message. And so they provided a guard for him 24-7 with a couple of police officers. But he was just convinced that we don't have an option when it comes to proclaiming, that we need to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. We begin just with that, that initial prayer of, of the basics of walking as a Christian. We move as we pray more and more to this sense of, Lord, I need to proclaim this message. To, I think, the third stage of prayer, where we reach the stage where we really are not focused just in a general way with the world and in a general way that we want the world to be reached, but we reach that point of personalization where everybody we see is a unique individual. 
that needs Jesus Christ. And everybody has a, has a specific and unique way that, that we need to touch them. It isn't just one general thing. We need to get to know people and understand them so that we can begin to understand how to help them. And I think that's what Paul is referring to in verse 6 as he says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. Each person is unique and different. And each person, I think, deserves for us to take a little time to know them, to, in a sense, earn the right to speak with them, whether it's here in the States or even in Turkey. I find the same thing true. If I'm in Turkey and I take the time to listen to someone who is from an Islamic background and, and I take the time to understand them and and how they came to faith in Islam, or maybe it was just kind of through their family upbringing, whatever the case may be. And then I say to them, you know, that is wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with me. You know, here's how I came to faith in Jesus Christ. I've never found one that got upset by that because I took the time to, to get to know them and to understand them and to hear their story and their background and then to share the difference Christ has made in my life is the most natural thing to do. And I think the same is true here. If we take the time to get to know people and understand them and care about them and, and listen to them, it becomes, I find, much easier. We, we earn the right then to say, wow, thank you for sharing me that tr with me that trial you're going through. Here, here's what I have found that has made a difference in going through the challenges and difficulties in life. It's my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You're not just preaching at them, you're caring for them because you've taken the time to get to know them. Let your speech always be with grace. What can I do today at work or home or, or my neighborhood or whatever it is to impart grace to somebody, to speak a kind word to someone? As Paul wrote to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 29, he said this, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Lord, maybe today what I need to do is just plant some seeds of grace among those that I interact with. Maybe the reaping of some of those seeds and the actual opportunity to talk more fully about my faith in Christ will come. But maybe today I just need to express some kindness and love to those around me and to make a difference in their lives. As he says in verse 6 of Colossians 4, uh, grace seasoned as it were with salt. Salt refines things and purifies things. It, it brings the taste out of things that, that maybe as we talk with people, what we want to do is say, given who this person is, what could I say to them that would help them understand the flavor, the contrasts, the wonderful uh, tastes of being a Christian? Lord, what can I say to somebody that would just bring that out a little bit for them today? And then as he says, so that you may know how to respond to each and every person. I think that is an important aspect of prayer and certainly an important aspect to begin to apply within our lives. Again, as you look at the pictures, a couple of the families that we work with in Turkey, as you look on the, uh, the right side, and you know, I'm actually 
uh, in need of glasses to see far away. So I'm, I think I'm right when I say some of these pictures, but, but it's either one or the other. You have a 50% chance of looking at the right picture as I'm, as I'm telling this to you. But on that side is Pastor Solly and his family. Pastor Solly is in a very conservative town, and he went through a period where just, being, just because he was a pastor in this town, groups of young kids would come up and start throwing stones at him, would just start throwing rocks at him as he's traveling through town or traveling back to his house. It was just ridiculous, the things that they would do. And <clears throat> Pastor Solly said, Lord, I want to proclaim to these people but, I, but, but what I need to do is personalize the message to them. So he went to each of these kids that were throwing stones at him individually and got to know them and took an interest in them and cared for them and brought them candy and a variety of things. And slowly but surely, he won them as his friends to where as he started to walk through town, they didn't throw stones at him anymore. In fact, some of them, some of these young kids started coming to his church. You know, sometimes you look at people and you go, oh, they're never going to be interested in the Christian message. But maybe if we just take the time to get to know them a little bit, we find that there is an interest. Or on the other picture there is we see uh, actually what's happening is some, uh, in front of a church, some soup is being served. Pastor Eson in the capital city was receiving death threats regularly, was receiving things from his uh, notes at the church, uh, left there by people in the neighborhood. And again, he said, Lord, this can't go on. Something's got to change. And so he talked with his leaders in his church, and he said, we've got to do something different here. And so they began once a month where they would just make a giant pot of soup, and they would invite all the neighbors in their area to come, just to meet them, <laughs> just for them to realize that these Christians aren't as terrible as everybody says they are, that, that actually they're pretty loving and they care. And in time, he began to win the hearts of many of his neighbors. It was not easy because the, sometimes in the Islamic world, people are, are just, just grow up with these hor horrific things said against Christians that, that are, it's totally false, but people believe it. But he said, Lord, I need to get to know these neighbors. I need to personalize them so that, that I can, can ultimately win them in the name of Christ. I think the wonderful joy of being a Christian is the joy of growing in our prayer life. From the basic things that we ask to the specifics of, Lord, help me to proclaim your message, to the ultimate specifics of, Lord, help me to see every person around me as an individual. Help me to take the time to get to know them and to love them and to show them your grace. And Lord, might you win their hearts in the process. Let's pray together for a moment. Gracious Father, we thank you so very, very much for your incredible love and grace for us. Lord, you have changed our lives. You have changed our hearts. And Lord, we pray that as you change us, that you would give us a deeper desire to share that good news with others. Lord, we ask that you might help us to know how to reach that neighbor, to reach that coworker. But Lord, we know it begins with prayer, asking you to open doors and then to be willing to respond to those open doors. And ultimately, Lord, to see everybody we, we meet every day as a unique person, someone that, that we can show kindness to and grace to and respect 
and love, and in the process, Lord, to earn the right to share of our beautiful Savior. Gracious Father, touch us and use us as our lives deepen in prayer. And for all of this, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.